1: this is world soccer talk radio here on the sports byline broadcasting network I am your host Nate aberrea get at me in the wild thing known as the Twitter sphere at Nate WST the love mail and as you all already send me the beautiful beautiful hate mail again at Nate W-S-T, at World Soccer Talk with all of your soccer-inclined Twitter gold and at Sports Byline USA for updates on this show and all of the rest of the fine programming within the Sports Byline family. Thanks for subscribing to this show, World Soccer Talk Radio, on iTunes, TuneIn, and Stitcher, and checking out the website that started it all, worldsoccertalk.com. Surin Frank is going to be joining us in this edition of the show, a writer that if you're a fan of WorldSoccerTalk.com, you are quite familiar with. He's also the author of Standing on the Shoulders of Giants, a cultural analysis of Manchester United, a book that came out uh, in English a couple of years ago, and it is a deep Deep look at the history of Manchester United and how Man United transitioned from a a proud English club and, and an English giant into a true global entity. And you hear this terminology quite a bit or you read this quite a bit within that book aggressive marketing just how aggressive in regards to commercialization and globalization how aggressive manchester united were more aggressive than really any other club in the world in establishing a global standing it is very interesting and we will talk about the present day we'll talk a little bit about louis van hall and Suren also penned a recent article on worldsoccertalk.com that talks about David Moyes being a massive setback for Manchester United and how Moyes was in very in quite a few ways the wrong successor to Sir Alex Ferguson so we'll talk about that a little bit many of you know how I feel about how hard done David Moyes was at Old Trafford so we'll get into that with and Frank on the other side of this break right here on World Soccer Soc Radio stay with us it's the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network we love you. we love you. stay tuned
0: see the world's best matches live wherever you are with Fox Soccer to go
2: Select live matches on your smartphone, on your tablet, and on your computer. Get the app, get the games,
3: and get your fix. Live soccer and more, anytime, anywhere. Sign up to watch the Bundesliga and Champions League at SoccerOnDish.com. Are you sick and tired of cable and
1: satellite prices going up and up and up? If you're a sports fan like me, one of the main reasons you're keeping your TV subscription is to watch ESPN. But did you know that you can cut the cord, cancel your TV subscription, and watch ESPN live and legally on your computer, tablet, Roku, or phone and save a ton of money? With a subscription to Sling TV, you can watch all the ESPN, ESPN2, TNT, TBS, and AMC that you want. Plus, you also get the SEC Network, ESPN, Bases Loaded, ESPN Buzzer Beater, Univision, and much more. From sports center to hoops, Sling TV has got the best in live sports action and commentary. And today you can get a free 7-day trial to Sling TV just by going to SlingMyTV.com. Again, to get a 7-day free trial to Sling TV, go to SlingMyTV.com today.
3: That's SlingMyTV.com. If you're a soccer fan and you want to cut the cord and watch more of the beautiful game, NGSN may be the online streaming service you're looking for. FreeSoccerTrial.com With NGSN, you get live, legal, and on-demand access to matches from the Eredivisie, J-League from Japan, K-League from Korea, Argentina's Primera Division, Portugal, Ecuador, Russian Premier League, cheers.
1: We paid less for our Craftmatic today than we did 20 years ago.
3: If you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's
4: sleep, call now for prices and free information on today's Craftmatic adjustable beds.
0: And then decide when you see how little they cost. Discover Craftmatic for less, up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand.
2: Call 1-800-414-1051. That's 1-800-414-1051. 1-800-414-1051. Call now.
1: World Soccer Talk Radio back here with you on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. My name is Nate Abarea. Tweet me at NateWST and tweet us all at World Soccer Talk. Our guest in this edition of the show, is a writer for WorldSoccerTalk.com. You're probably quite familiar with his work. He's also the author of a fantastic book entitled Standing on the Shoulders of Giants, a cultural analysis of Manchester United, also a professor at the University of Southern Denmark. Sir and Frank, thanks for joining us. How you doing, sir?
5: Thank you, Nate. Uh, very good to be here, <laughs> and thanks for inviting me.
1: Absolutely. So, uh, hey, I, I'm I'm quite familiar with your work on on the website. I, I actually, speaking even as a Liverpool supporter, I love the book. And one thing that I want to know first off is, how did you become a Manchester United supporter? And knowing your Danish roots, I'm wondering—is it Peter Schmeichel related? No, actually,
5: not. <clears throat> it goes further back. Uh, it's a long story, but we have some minutes, right? So. Um... To be honest, it actually dates back to to when I was a six year old kid, um, and Danish television had just started to um, to um, transmit these uh, games from the English uh, first division at the at that time. So, one Saturday afternoon, I was watching a game with my father and our neighbor, and it was a what has become very legendary uh, a TV match in Denmark, the, the, the match uh, between Manchester United and West Bromwich Albion at Old Trafford in 1978. And Manchester United actually lost 5-3. But, uh, I mean, the match was just a, an incredible match with some beautiful goals, and West Bromwich Albion had these... Three coloured players, which were quite unusual at the time, but also Manchester United um, had some had some great uh, legends at at that time. Gordon McQueen, I, I remember. So um, it it was a fantastic match, and that was when it all started. Of course, as a six year old, I didn't actually kind of sediment into Manchester United. I I surfed around a bit, but. Um, I guess when when uh, the Danish uh, winger uh, Jesper Olsen um, came to United in 1984, I really became a fan.
1: Well, uh, t- talk about that a little bit further, as far as the the happenings of the Danish connection with Manchester United, because. Uh, you know, back back in in the 1990s, it was a huge deal of of such a, a, an iconic Danish figure in Peter Schmeichel joining yes. Manchester United, becoming such a great club. But obviously, it goes back even further than that. Talk a little bit about that that interesting national connection in Denmark to a club in England.
5: Something certainly happened in in 84 when Jes Olsen joined. Uh, he was bought from Ajax by Ron Atkinson and. Already at that point, Jes bolsen had had um, scored some some um, vital goals and made some some great contributions for the Danish national team. Actually, against England, I think it was maybe eighty two or eighty eighty three, and he had performed very very well in Ajax. He 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 is a very Ajax school player. So people was wonder, people were wondering if if he had the the physical dimension to survive in in the English uh, first division. But Ron Atkinson believed in him. So he bought him and he also bought Gordon Strachan, the, the, the other very small uh, midfielder. But the, the Jesper Olsen um, a transfer started something in Denmark, I think, uh, at least uh, in my generation. M- maybe the generation before had... Had a connection with Manchester United because of, of the Munich uh, air disaster in in uh, in '58. But but in my generation, I think Jesper Olsen was the one who who um, set up the connection between United and a lot of Danish supporters. Because in Denmark, there's no doubt about Liverpool is the biggest club. Also today, I think I'm, I'm not sure about the numbers, but Liverpool is a huge club in Denmark. Due, of course, to their successful teams in the in the seventies and eighties, and when Peter Schmeichel arrived, and of course with the success that Alex Ferguson and Manchester United um, got in the nineties, and with the, the role of Peter Schmeichel in that success, Cantona, Roy Keane, of course, but also the class of ninety two. But Peter Schmeichel played a huge role in kind of consolidating and. And increasing the number of supporters in Denmark. And they, they have a really huge fan base in, 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 in not just Denmark, but in whole, the whole of, Sc- of Scandinavia. Norway is, is, uh, is more crazy than Denmark about Man United, of course, because of, especially because of um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer.
1: Well, absolutely, and uh, yeah, you're, you're bringing back uh, the the '99 treble team. You're getting the old band back together. The more you bring these names up, now you, you touch on something that I absolutely love, and I've talked about this with uh, guests on the show who hail from Ireland. I've also talked about this uh, with other guests uh, from from countries in Scandinavia. The Liverpool Manchester United rivalry being alive. In multiple countries Not just, you know, a, a, a Manchester United following Or a Liverpool following being alive in these places But the actual Liverpool-Man U hatred The rivalry, the classic Northern English rivalry in, Northwest English rivalry, I should say Is yeah. alive in all these countries Talk about what that's like When when Liverpool play Man United in a place like Denmark Where, where they're two of the most popular teams in the country And, and it's two English sides
5: Well, I... I, I you know it, it 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 goes far back but but i think actually that with with the success and of course the 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 global network uh, channeling of, of of all these uh, major leagues i mean the, the 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 danish national league is um i think its popularity is is maybe decreasing in in um in uh, regard to um, an increase in the popularity of the English Premier League, especially, but but also the European Champions League, and and with with that development, the rivalry uh, of two clubs far away from Denmark in the northwest of England is actually kind of dominating the uh, the newspapers, and of course, um, a, a city like Copenhagen with um, with a lot of Man U fans and and uh, Liverpool fans um it, it, it you can feel it in the in the city when 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 these teams meet and um off, quite often the, the tv channels uh, do some special features when when uh, when liverpool and man united um, are clashing um although i'm not myself that much into the hatred uh vocabulary <laughs> i appreciate the rivalry but but um um I don't know if I actually write uh, uh, about this in the book but but uh, as far as I'm concerned there are actually quite a lot of similarities between uh, between the clubs of Liverpool and Manchester United. Um so uh, I I can appreciate the success and and the history of of Liverpool too but but of course I'm I'm a Man United fan but but it's it 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 adds some some spice and some color to these uh, to these um, matches and uh, whatever happens with arsenal manchester city and chelsea you cannot deny history um
1: well, and Sir, uh, you you definitely are are a scholar and and a fan of history, and I, and I know that from from reviewing uh, much of your work. And and in the the minute that we've got left here before we head to break, I'm curious. Can you touch on that for you? What is the greatest similarity between Manchester United and Liverpool?
5: Well, I think there are several similarities. Also, you you, you can also find some some. Similarities in in the in the kind of club ethos or ideology, for example, between FC Barcelona and Manchester United, I think. But but in 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 terms of the Liverpool Manchester United, I mean, they they both have these very very strong roots in the northwest industrialization of England in in the in the nineteenth century, and of course, and also in the twentieth century they have in in their most successful um uh, periods um played a, a form of soccer that has fascinated the whole world with i mean attack minded uh, fluid uh, uh, soccer and they have scottish managers dominating their history <laughs> um so uh, there there's a lot of of similarities i think um but of course because they are so very close to each other uh, in terms of geography, but but maybe also in terms of identity, um, the, the the clash is, is even greater because, I mean, who's the best, who's the greatest club? Uh, that's where the rivalry is in, in, in terms of history and, and the English uh, First Division and Premier League.
1: Well, whether it's Bill shankley whether it's Alex Ferguson, Scottish football managers in the northwest of England are definitely uh, quite the... Uh historically important thing to note as far as the uh, pathways to success of both Liverpool and Manchester United. This is a whole lot of fun talking with Surin Frank here on World Soccer Talk Radio. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that book that Surin published back in uh, 2013, I believe it was. And we'll get into a little present-day Manchester United talk. We'll talk about LVG, the man who, as Thomas Rungan said, he doesn't teach Pardon me. He doesn't learn. He teaches. There we go. We'll get that right sometime. Hey, Davare and Sir and Frank, back there with you after this on World Soccer Talk Radio. Stay tuned.
3: If you're a soccer fan and you want to cut the cord and watch more of the beautiful game, NGSN may be the online streaming service you're looking for. FreeSoccerTrial.com With NGSN, you get live, legal, and on-demand access to matches from the Eredivisie, J-League from Japan, K-League from Korea, Argentina's Primera Division, Portugal, Ecuador, Russian Premier League, as well as leagues from Bolivia, Venezuela, and more. The games are in HD, and commentaries are available in your choice of English or Spanish, and this is a completely new and legal way to watch soccer games in the U.S. Try it, and I think you'll be impressed. All you have to do is go to Freesoccertrial.com. And sign up today for your free 30-day trial to NGSN. Again, that's freesocccertrial.com. freesocccertrial.com. Cheers. Are you sick and
1: tired of cable and satellite prices going up and up and up? If you're a sports fan like me, one of the main reasons you're keeping your TV subscription is to watch ESPN. But did you know that you can cut the cord, cancel your TV subscription, and watch ESPN live and legally on your computer, tablet, Roku, or phone and save a ton of money? With a subscription to Sling TV, you can watch all the ESPN, ESPN2, TNT, TBS, and AMC that you want. Plus, you also get the SEC Network, ESPN Bases Loaded, ESPN Buzzer Beater, Univision, and much more. From sports center to Hoops, Sling TV has got the best in live sports action and commentary. And today you can get a free 7-day trial to Sling TV just by going to SlingMyTV.com. Again, to get a 7-day free trial to Sling TV, go to SlingMyTV.com today. That's SlingMyTV.com.
0: See the world's best matches. Live, wherever you are, with Fox
2: Soccer to Go. Watch select live matches on your smartphone, on your tablet, and on your computer. Get the app, get the games, and get your fix. Live soccer and
3: more. Anytime, anywhere. Sign up to watch the Bundesliga and Champions League at SoccerOnDish.com football season is back
2: and this time around it's all about you the fan thanks to rabble.tv now you can call the action for your favorite college and pro teams for free it's your team so why not give your fans your call just mute your tv and provide your own play-by-play or armchair commentary or listen to other fans like you who love your team as much as you do with rabble.tv you can create and enjoy sports broadcast created by fans on your desktop through your ios android app or through your mobile browser so blitz the booth this football season and go to rabble.tv to schedule a broadcast
1: today. Welcome back into World Soccer Talk Radio here on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, WorldSoccerTalk.com, Twitter at World Soccer Talk and tweet me at NateWST. My name is Nate Albarea. We are joined by Surin Frank and... Let's talk a little bit more, sir, and about the book. Uh, and as we're talking there uh, a few moments ago, the original version came out in 2008. The Norwegian version came out in 2011. And then the updated English version out in 2013. The book entitled Standing on the Shoulders of Giants, a Cultural Analysis of Manchester United. You take a real deep look into you talk about the ethos and you talk about the history of of this club and how it relates to the present day. And one of the things I really enjoyed about the book is how you relate the history to how things are still handled in the present day. And even with uh, foreign ownership involved, how there's still things that go back to the deep roots uh, in the 1800s of, of this football club. Talk about for you, first off, where the, the original, idea and and passion for for this idea came from and and for the for the book how how did you actually come to produce this thing back in originally in 2008
5: yeah you know i'm as as you mentioned in the beginning i'm a i'm a literary scholar at at a university actually so uh, i guess if when 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 i started out um studying comparative literature here in Denmark I had this vague idea that that I mean it's 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 a kind of a a, a, a discipline or an education that is more or less useless uh, I mean it doesn't lead to any specific job so I had this vague idea about writing about soccer or music uh when when I had um finished my my um my degree but as I as I kind of got more and more into literary studies um, at, at this point in, in, in Denmark, it wasn't, it wasn't looked upon very, uh, very nicely. If, if people with, with my uh, education wrote about music and soccer, it was all high elite cultural stuff and, and the, the, the canonical authors one should write about. So, so when I had um, finished my PhD in 2006, I, I, uh, I, were, I was without a job. Um, but luckily, one of my close colleagues in, uh, at the University of Southern Denmark had actually just published uh, a, a shorter book uh, on Real Madrid. And one of my mentors, a professor at Stanford University in, in the U.S., uh, hans ulrich Gumbrecht, had just um, written a book uh, called, I think it's called In Praise of Athletic Beauty. So I thought, well, if these two guys can do it, why don't I do it? I was without a job. I didn't know what my future would bring, so I kind of contacted this um, this publisher in Denmark and asked them if they would be interested in a book on Manchester United. And they responded very quickly and said yes. And of course, when when I started out the project, I didn't really know what it was leading to, and I thought I had this probably had this idea of uh, of a book um, and 200 pages, and and but. As I got into into the history of the club, um, it just went on and on. So I, I ended up writing a, the original Danish book. I think it was about, I can't remember, 300, 350 pages. The, the English version is shortened a little bit. Um, but I think it 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 probably, I mean, I, I went to and fro- from the project, I probably... Spend um, between six months and nine months full time writing it, and it was a a, a great period um, in my life. Um, I got to know the the club I loved very uh, intimately. Um, but it was also, I mean, we had some. The publisher and I had some some discussions about how to do this. Um, originally, we actually um, wanted to um, include interviews with the Danish players that has that have been in Manchester United. Um, you know, Peter Schmeichel, the legend, Jesper Olsen, we talked about. And then at, at the same time, Jesper Olsen were, was at, at United, there was a, a Danish fullback called John Sieverbeck. He's not that famous, but he was also at United under Ron Atkinson. And then there was this talented Danish player in the beginning of the, the the millennium called Mastim, who never really, um, I mean, he, he didn't have his breakthrough. He's in Denmark now. But of course, all, all hinged upon um, the fact if Peter Schmeichel wanted to do it, because if he didn't want to do it, um, it would look odd with the other three interviews and not <laughs> Peter Schmeichel. Uh, Peter Schmeichel decided not to contribute. And then I i took this decision ab- about not including interviews, and this was going to be my book, my version. So, what I basically did, I'm not. I'm not uh, trained as a journalist. I'm trained as a literary scholar. So, I'm not. Um, I mean, I, I didn't go about interviewing uh, people, uh, not not just the Danish players in United, but I didn't go about interviewing a lot of people in Manchester and around the world. Um, so, I basically went to the archives and I read more or less. I wouldn't say everything, but I, I, I read pretty much everything that's been published about Manchester United. I went through, um, old newspaper cuts. I saw a lot of, um, movie, um, um, t- television recordings and, 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 movies about Manchester United and, uh, basically, uh, went through every season match by match, more or less. So there was a lot of research behind the book. um, but then there's also this, I don't know what to call it, maybe the intellectual um, style of the book, uh, which is very much concerned about uh, both the cultural identity of Manchester United as a, as a soccer club, um, historically speaking, but also the, uh, the aesthetic um, fascination about football as a, as a, as a game in general. So there are several dimensions in the book, and it is an academic book. It's an an intellectual history, and some people might like it and uh, some might
1: not. (laughs) Well, one of the things that I I enjoyed about the kind of the the strategy of of the way you wrote it is the big focus on the transition uh, within the culture of Manchester United in regards to globalization. And, and I, I brought up already that you, what, you you really delve deep into the history of this club and finding out where these mentalities come from and, and what the roots of them are. And one of the most interesting parts of the book, and this is just one of the most interesting parts of the history of, of this great club, is the transition into becoming a global entity and how aggressive, use that word aggressive yeah. uh, in the book, how Manchester United, more than any other club, made it, their responsibility going we are gonna tackle globalization we are gonna be the global brand we are gonna be quote-unquote aggressive about this we've got three minutes a little under three minutes actually before we gotta head to another break here sir but talk about that and how interesting that was to analyze and and what you think that means about manchester united how they were really the the pioneers of of football globalization
5: yeah i mean um you're probably referring, but but you could take it uh, back a little longer. But but you're probably referring to the beginning of the 90s when this, I mean, this explicit globalization with the with the TV networks and stuff like that. The uh, the the English Premier League has its first season. I think it's in 1991, 92, or something. Um, um, Manchester United uh, with 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 all the the you could say tumultuous uh, transitions that they went through. Uh, with with ownership, uh, the Edwards family, Michael Knighton coming in and wanting to buy the club, it doesn't uh, he doesn't succeed, and and of course with the Glazer family, something really um, important happens in in, in in terms of the the club's uh, and the fans' understanding of the club. Um, it, it it could be categorized as a rupture in 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 the in in the other otherwise very continuous uh, history of Manchester United. Uh, but but you could take it further back to to the Matt Bosby era when when he had this vision of Manchester United conquering Europe, and um, uh, the project kind of uh, ends catastrophically in in in, uh, in Munich when when in '58 uh, we have the Munich air disaster where um, I mean eight Manchester United players die and. Um, Something happens in in the aftermath of that uh, of that accident, of that catastrophe, and and I mean, United start to, as a club, start to to take advantage of of the the sympathy and empathy that that uh, comes in from from not just Great Britain but from the whole world, and they they um, begin to to talk about themselves as a specific, unique club that's been um, that's been um, I mean, that's experienced this, this disaster. And when they triumph 10 years after in, in, in the European Cup for the first time, this is kind of Matt Busby's uh, holy grail that he, that he achieves. They do it 10 years after that the club and the team has been destroyed. They do it with, I, I, I think it's eight homegrown players. So there is this fascinating story about uh, youth and continuity at the same time that the club has been um, has been has undergone the, the most uh, dramatic transition, uh, so this identity, this understanding of themselves as victims, as survivors, they 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 um, they create this this narrative that they in the 90s, in the 1990s, when globalization really takes off, uh, in terms of football clubs um, branding themselves and marketing themselves aggressively United are probably the first together with Real Madrid to do that
1: and Sir and Sir and we'll finish this here on the other side of the break want to continue this definitely talk about the globalization of Manchester United here on the other side of the break World Soccer Talk Radio stay tuned
4: This is Shaquille O'Neal and the Shackettes reminding you that anytime, anytime is a good time, good time for the cooling, drying, freshening of Gold Bond powder spray like after the gym
2: or a crowded elevator
1: ride or golf or working with farm animals
4: or a hard day's work
3: like sports casting.
4: You said it, ladies. Stay cool with Gold Bond powder spray.
3: Stay cool with Gold Bond.
4: Save your
2: business time and money with Lowe's Pro Services. You'll find everything pros need for the whole job, like 15% off fiberglass extension ladders and 15% off property advantage paint manufactured by Sherwin-Williams. Plus, save an extra 5% when you use your Lowe's business credit card. Go to Lowe's today or visit the new Lowe'sforpros.com. Ladder and paint offers valid 8-1 through 8-7. Credit offer subject to credit approval. Exclusions apply and can't be combined with other credit offers.
4: Today, more than ever, Americans need a means to protect their life savings. With a troubled economy and government spending out of control, they've been forced to promote loose money policies, which decreases the value of the dollar and promotes inflation. Birch Gold Group can help you protect your savings by rolling over all or a portion of your IRA or 401k into an IRA backed by physical gold. Take advantage of the best gold prices in years and enjoy the long-term hedge against inflation that gold provides by moving into a gold IRA from Birch Gold group the precious metal ira specialists call birch gold group today for a free consultation on how a tax-free rollover to a gold ira can offer stability protection and the peace of mind that your life savings which you've worked so hard to build is safe call 888-221-0010 and receive birch gold's free information kit which offers the best kept secrets for safeguarding your savings with gold call 888-221-0010 that's 888-221-0010 The Sports Byline collection of original full-length interviews of today's stars and past sports legends is now available in the Sports Byline Audio Vault at sportsbyline.com. Players, managers, coaches, broadcasters, commissioners, and owners talk about their teams, games, careers, unforgettable moments, and disappointments in this unique collection of original full-length interviews. It works on iPhones, iPads, and Android devices. Go to sportsbyline.com and click on The Vault. Rick Pitino joins
2: us on Sports Byline. Everybody wants to succeed. Everybody wants to have success in their life. Everybody wants to prosper in their life. If you give them a way to do that, they'll understand that message. If you just say it's wrong just for the sake of wrong or it's just wasted time, that's not going to impact their their ideas or their concepts. But when you tell them if you do it a certain way, it's going to lead to prosperity and success, then they listen and very attentively. Go to
4: SportsByline.com and click on The Vault.
1: World Soccer Talk Radio back here with you on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. And soccer fans, it is the first game week, or now the first game week of the Premier League is over. We're in the Match Week 2 in the Barclays Premier League. We've got several great ones this weekend, but one in particular that's standing out from the schedule. That is Man City and Chelsea. World Soccer Talk Radio listeners, I would like to invite you to join expert Chelsea writer Gary Hayes. He'll be sharing his thoughts and opinions during the City-Chelsea game live on Rabble.tv. With Rabble, the concept is simple. All you got to do is tune into the TV broadcast, press the mute button, then head on over to Rabble.tv to listen to Gary sharing his analysis with Rabble. You can listen to his broadcast on your desktop, through your iOS app, and now through your mobile browser. Plus, you can join in by posting your questions or observations in the comment section. Or, how about this? Create your own broadcast. Call one of your team's games, whether it's in the Premier League, Major League Soccer, La Liga, Bundesliga. You want to call a UFC fight. You want to call a baseball game. You can do it on Rabble. It is a fantastic concept and a huge thank you to Rabble.tv again for their continued support of World Soccer Talk Radio. Join our friend Gary Hayes on Rabble this Sunday, 1045 a.m. Eastern Time here in the States. It's your team and your call, rabble.tv, and again this Sunday, Man City and Chelsea with Gary Hayes on rabble.tv. My name is Nate Abarea. Surin Frank is with us here in this edition of the show, and we're talking all about the book that Surin wrote, Standing on the Shoulders of Giants, a Cultural Analysis of Manchester United, and we had to kind of throw a little brief pause there in, in the discussion as we had to head to that last break. And so let's pick up right where we left off, sir. And I really like what you're doing here and digging deeper into the globalization of Manchester United and going back to, to the 1950s and the 1960s because a lot of people do look at the 90s as, as this time of, oh, that's when Manchester United became this big global entity. No, it's a lot deeper than that. And so you talk about the, the 50s, the 60s, and you got into, into the 1970s there. Kind of guide us into the 1990s if you can when that when that globalization definitely went to a whole nother level uh, for the red devils
5: yeah I think i mean the the, the club ownership has been a, 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 a really a big uh, point of discussion in the history of manchester united and and in the book, I also look into through other sources how uh, how uh, the edwards family um, Kind of overtook the club for kind of, for, for almost nothing and um and and the way they did it was uh, was was uh, i mean maybe even ethical uh, pro- pro- ethical problematical anyway um what um so i mean when martin edwards takes over as a as a as a chief executive of, of the board um he he is actually maybe a problematic figure in the history of Manchester United and the eyes of many fans, but he is one of the, the, the people in the history of Manchester United that is also very visionary in terms of leading Manchester United into this global era. And I, I I, I, I guess you could say that Manchester United at the, the club represents extremes. So at one point you have this, um, this dimension of the club that is always in, in in the forefront of change and uh, and the next step uh, and and kind of maybe even leading to the betrayal of the roots but at the other side you have a dimension that is always faithful mm-hmm. to the roots and martin edwards is probably seen as the one who 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 were all, always kind of betraying the roots whereas you had alex ferguson the scottish uh, the scottish manager coming from a working-ground background and a working-class background and he was kind of the 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 security um the, the same with Matt Busby in in the 50s and uh, when when he was manager and and martin edwards father louis edwards was uh, was was the chairman and owner of manchester united so so you had these two poles in the history uh, of of united um, the one pole always um Transgressing traditions and looking forward into the into the future, and and in, in 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 that sense, I think Martin Edwards was one of the key figures of leading Manchester United into the also into the status they have today. And I mean, a lot of a lot of faithful fans love repeating the histories of of United as as the As the club that is uh, based in Manchester and uh, always wanting their own players to come through the academy and and uh, the working class roots are not forgotten but but um, i mean one shouldn 't forget that a, a, a very fundamental um, 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 dimension behind this success that they had under Ferguson and today are the money that they create in terms of revenue and merchandise and stuff like that.
1: Now uh, let's kind of transition back into the present day or at least uh, close to the present day. A recent article that you penned uh, for worldsoccertalk.com, you within it, sir, and you discussed some of the, maybe mistakes at the end of the Sir Alex Ferguson era, and some people might hear that and go, mistakes? I mean, they they won the title in in his final season. Well, the the quote-unquote mistake or whatever we want to call it that you referenced, one of the main ones that you referenced, was Alex Ferguson's enthusiasm and and recommendation of David Moyes being the one— to take over, and there was also some some differing reports in terms of how enthusiastic Fergie really was about Moyes uh, being being the successor after all the years uh, for Fergie at Manchester United. In in hindsight, uh, who, who do you think should have been selected as Alex Ferguson's successor, and and how much of a role did Fergie really have in in choosing uh, the next manager to take over?
5: Well, I'm uh, I'm I'm not f- I'm not uh, familiar with with all the inside information that some people may have, but but as I see the I mean the way the club is was run at the time, and uh, as as I look at at who were um, the board members, um, Bobby Charlton might for one be uh, very supportive of of the of the Alex Ferguson way of thinking. Uh, they represent um, Manchester United and the history of Manchester United and, and uh, Bobby Charlton represents the, the the link back to the Matt Bosby era. Um, I cannot see that the Glazer family would be in any way supportive of David Moyes if Alex Ferguson wasn't supportive of David Moyes. David Moyes was the... Uh, was I mean, the idea with David Moyes, I think, was that he was the, the young version of Alex Ferguson. Uh, and that was what, I mean, Ferguson is a romantic. He's both a realist, but he's also very romantic. He's got a romantic idea of soccer. I mean, look at all the, uh, the adventures that we have experienced with Manchester United during his years with, with Fergie time and goals in the last minute and injury time and stuff like that. He's a better, he's a gambler. So there's a romantic side to Ferguson and I think it was the romantic, nostalgic side to Ferguson that led to to him choosing David Moyes as his successor. I cannot see any other than him doing that. Uh, and with the role he had, with the the, the kind of status he had uh, at the moment, uh, the Glazer family and Bobby Charlton uh, went with him, I think. But I mean, people can speculate about this uh, for very long. Uh, Ferguson has himself, uh, said in in his autobiography that it wasn't his decision alone, and probably it wasn't. But I cannot see David Moyes being chosen if Ferguson didn't uh, um, didn't uh, vouch for it. Who they should have? I mean, I, I myself was actually. Uh, a, 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 Believing that the David Moyes choice was a logical choice in the beginning, but but I mean, it, I think it became clear to everybody that um, that that they it was a mismatch somehow. People, some people still believe that he should have been given more time, and and I think the Louis van Gaal uh, period shows that uh, that um, I mean, everybody. Th- I think everybody expected Louis van Gaal to come in and uh, repair things quicker than he has done. So I mean, clearly this shows that that David Moyes was not just a failure; he was uh, presented with an enormously difficult task. Anyway, who you asked who they should have chosen? My my memory isn't that good because I mean, there's there's also there's also the question about who is available. But I mean. The the Jose Mourinho link was very hot at one moment, and um, he's um, I mean he's a very fascinating manager. He's a very su- successful manager, and he's got a bond with the, uh, Alex Ferguson. Um, I, I, I like him f- as a manager, uh, but but I'm not sure that he would have fitted into Manchester United.
1: Could you uh, Could you imagine Jose Mourinho being the successor to Sir Alex Ferguson? It was actually talked about quite a bit. Sirin brings this up. It was quite the, the hot topic back in uh, the year 2013 in that summer of Jose Mourinho coming back to England to manage Manchester United. Well... We all know how uh, things ended up going, but uh, we, we we can look back and just imagine if Jose Mourinho would have been the successor of Sir Alex Ferguson. Hey, we've got uh, we've got about three minutes left here, sir, and, and let, let's get right back in to the present day with Manchester United, Louis Van Gaal, a yeah. a very. Polarizing character I, I bring up that quote uh, from our good friend Thomas Rongen quite a bit on this show you know he doesn't he doesn't learn he teaches LV, LVG is is a very stubborn man he's also a very brilliant man what do you make of the fact that Louis van Hall is only gonna be at Manchester United for the next couple maybe three seasons at the most that he's got this little window that he said I'm moving on after this what does that mean to the grand scheme of Manchester United and how much uh, are you backing? LVG at Old Trafford.
5: Um first of all I'm I'm not sure that he that he uh, is set to leave uh, after I mean he's got this 3-year contract. He, he I think he recently told us that maybe he would stay longer but of course it depends on him being successful or not. He knows he knows what is demanded of him and that is uh, the, the the trophy, the championship uh, either this year or next year. Um um what do i make of him i think he's uh i think he's a character that suits manchester united well at this uh clearly he's a transitional figure uh but um everybody were bound to be transitional figures after alex ferguson's 26 27 years um which is kind of unheard of in, in at that level in in modern soccer so uh, but his he, look his he's been hired to kind of stabilize the, the great uh, ship, right uh, and and he's I think he's the right man to do it but there's no doubt that he um, that he is a polarizing man and some people buy into his uh, famous philosophy and uh, some don't and we have already seen um, episodes with uh, people um, committing themselves to them uh, to, to him Uh w- Wanting, wanting to work hard for him, wanting to please him. And we've seen episodes with, with uh, I mean, surprisingly, some people like Robin van Persie and, um, and um, Victor Valdez, who had a history, uh, a positive history with, with Van Gaal, who he has um, kind of skipped out of Old Trafford. Um, but he brings a vision and a history of trophies to Manchester United that we didn't see David Moyes bringing in. I mean, we everybody knew that David Moyes Moyes wasn't a winning manager. Remember that Alex Ferguson had won things with Aberdeen before he came to Manchester United, but right. but uh, David Moyes hadn't won anything with Everton. Uh, Louis van Gaal brings a history of triumph, and he also uh, has this. History of bringing youth uh, through uh, his um, his teams. Um, I think my recent uh, uh, article on World Soccer Talk uh, precisely talks about this 1995 uh, year with, with Van Gaal winning the Champions League with Ajax and uh, Alex Ferguson uh, bringing through the class of 92 uh, when he skipped, um, I think it was uh, Andre Kanchelskis and Paul Lynch and Mark Hughes out of Old Trafford in order to um, to make way for, for for youth. So there are very many similarities between the two managers.
1: Well, and I, I love, uh, sir, that you bring up the fact that LVG brings in this bit of a of a winning aura, you know, to him. And there there is there is a reason. There there's a method to the madness, and there is a reason for the confidence and the bit of the swagger that uh, LVG has, without a doubt. Sir, and real quick. Uh, I know that people can still get the book on amazon.com and uh, many a good bookstores around the world. How can they get a hold of you uh, via social media? Let us know real quick um,
5: um, Get a hold of me. <laughs> I don't know. I'm on Facebook. Uh, what else?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll get you a t- we'll get you a Twitter set up. But in the meantime, get it. Oh, sorry, and Frank. I don't Twitter. Sorry. <laughs> okay, get at him on Facebook. Give him give him some uh, give him some United love on the Facebook. <laughs> sir and Frank, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate your time. You're welcome back anytime. Thank you. Again, that was Sir and Frank, the author. Of standing on the shoulders of giants, a cultural analysis of Manchester United. Back to close this thing out after this, right here, World Soccer Talk Radio.
2: 800-949-8707 800-949-8707
1: World Soccer Talk Radio, back here with you on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. All the European leagues are returning to action this month. What better way to enjoy the best players in the world by playing than by playing one of the most unique fantasy soccer games? It's the Euro Fantasy League. You can select your team from all the leagues. Premier League, La Liga, Serie A. France, Holland, Portugal, wherever you want them from, you can pick them, and then you compile your team from there. So imagine, you can have a fantasy team that includes Ronaldo, Aguero, Pogba, Zlatan, Rooney, and Messi. Not a half-bad side, or any other combination of world-class footballers. Play for free, or enter the dollar or ten dollar games, you can win up to five hundred or five thousand dollars. you kidding me? Ten dollar game, you win five grand, playing Euro Fantasy League soccer. Again, head on over, Euro Fantasy League Com. We're taking the express train home. We're done in 10 seconds. For the producers in San Francisco and the gaffer Christopher Harris, my name's Nate Abarea. Enjoy your footballing weekend. I will talk to you on Monday. Bye for now.